Welcome, everyone, to the Echo Podcast by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. It's time for a queen. The Echo Podcast by Fantastic Geek for episodes one, Chaffa, and two, Lowak. It's brought to you by Bolo Ties. By the damn thing. <laughs> Pete, just before we dig into the latest offering in the MCU, we want to make our way around some other geeky goodness news. Uh, just in the last week, it was announced that Star Trek Discovery will have its season five premiere in March at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. Uh, and I, for one, am glad to know that the show is getting a lot of razzmatazz as it enters the final stretch here. It's going to be interesting if they can keep a lid on what comes out of that. Um, you know, we have a massive hole in our schedule. We'll talk about that going forward. Wish we could see it a little sooner. I don't know. Star Trek Discovery Paramount Plus people, while that's still a thing, get Fantastic Geek out there? <laughs> Absolutely. Pete, we certainly know that those Paramount Plus PR people have opinions about us. So, yeah, let's make it happen. Uh, Pete, also in the last week, uh, the announcement uh, of a new Star Wars movie. Tell us more. So, much to most people's surprise uh the mandalorian and grogu movie announced earlier this week john favreau will be directing i've seen conflicting things i've seen uh there is no season four of the show the movie is now the show i've seen there will be a fourth season the movie is the finale I, I don't know. All I know was what was announced. Uh, there had been rumblings that there would be a movie. They were largely discounted. Um, this comes from the horse's mouth. This is for real. Uh, Ahsoka season two has also been formally announced in development. Uh, I think that's a belated thing. There's no way they were not working on that. Um, and, uh, Dave Filoni even put artwork up. Uh, I can't imagine that was drawn so we can put that on Twitter. Um, these were announcements. Of course, the conspiracy theories are now that that was to distract from the, uh, Charmaine Abedichinoy, uh, you know, it's time for Star Wars to be shaped by a woman comments that, uh, there were, no problems with that suddenly, you know, um, male rights activists everywhere took great umbrage and clutched their pearls at. Certainly the, the timing interesting, but the news welcome. And I would agree that the biggest question there, what does this do for the, what does this do for the TV show? Um, Pete, I will split the difference. I will guess that maybe, maybe, they film the movie and the TV show concurrently or, or, or things of that sort. It, it'll all be interesting once more info gets, uh, you know, get, get shaken out here. Is the, is the Mandalorian movie going to be a $300 million movie? Is it going to be a $110 million movie? Like, where is it in that scope? Is it seen as a greater, you know, now you have established characters that people want to see rather than putting them in a paywall in a service 
in a subscription model, do you attempt to make a quicker profit? Here's a theater. You put that there. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the bean counters say. We also don't know in light of the strikes were these deals decided earlier and, and are now being announced post holidays. Who knows? Well, Pete, speaking of the bean counters, once upon a time, Netflix paid to have Marvel television make some shows. And now those shows live potentially forever on Disney plus and not just the defenders, uh, quintet, uh, living on Disney plus, but now part of the official MCU timeline at least as official as, you know, the Disney Plus official MCU timeline. Click here for more info uh, makes it official. Yeah, that they've been slotted in there and that this series that we're podcasting, while it doesn't say, you know, uh, you know, that time that the Daredevil was doing this, they they are treating it as having happened, which as we podcast it was official and then there was some kind of distancing well oh no 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 that's marvel tv there's going to be marvel studios they're not and... always nice to kevin feige so now yeah. kevin feige says you don't play in our sandbox anymore just just, just wait until you know we get colson back again and you know that's that's a thing and Ace of shield shows up there like it, it all fits. It all works, man. In a multiverse, especially, okay, as we're headed. I mean, geez, Matt, it, it struck me as I watched this series. Like, all right, see you in July, Marvel. Well, Pete, some stuff in the far-off future, but uh, now we'll turn our attention to these episodes. Time to recount the legend to the tribe. Following the Marvel Spotlight fanfare by Michael Giacchino, blue light swirls in a subterranean environment where a female figure emerges. She's joined by others in this otherworldly location where she drinks from the pools and her hands glow before a red crested woodpecker lands on one the cave rumbles and the woman tries to keep it from collapsing before light engulfs them and she wakes up in a field where the mud flakes off their skin to reveal a far more human appearance the woman speaks choctaw telling the others to follow her a little girl finishes telling another story of Chaffa as they make shadow puppets in a tent. Young Maya Lopez signs to the other, calling her sister, but the girl corrects her that they are, in fact, cousins. It's 2007 in Tamaha, Oklahoma, and Scully speaks and signs around a fire pit where Maya's father sits with his wife and mother-in-law, Chola. Later, it's raining and the girls come in, Maya asking her mother for hot chocolate, but they're out. She tells her she can accompany her to the store to get some. On their way home, Chola sees the woodpecker and gets a funny feeling. 
On the way to the store, Maya's mother realizes the brakes don't work and they are broadsided by another car. A massive piece of glass juts out of Maya's leg. Later in the hospital, her leg has been amputated and her father still hasn't told her that her mother died. He tells Scully he found out who cut the brakes and took care of them. Chola chastises him, reminding him that she begged her daughter not to marry one of the no-good Lopez boys and blames him for her death, which she'll never forgive. But he's got a job taking them to New York. He goes into Maya's hospital room where she's drawn a picture for her cousin, Bonnie, who he tells Maya misses her. She asks him to tell her mother she's sorry that it was her fault she got hurt taking her to the store. He packs them up and drives off, Maya signing to her grandmother, asking if Bonnie can come. In New York, Maya is isolated at school and her father dotes on her at home. At karate practice, he promises her a better life than his and then witnesses him give a package to another tracksuit mafia member. Her adoptive uncle, then pinches her cheek before she takes on a much bigger boy and flashes forward to adulthood when she spars with a man that she makes easy work of. Afterward, she rides her motorcycle to her father's office in an auto repair shop and sees the Ronin stab him. At his grave, Bonnie texts Maya, but she ignores it. Maya breaks into a motorcycle dealership and police arrive. She puts her hair tie on the throttle, launching it through the window at one of their cars. A big black SUV pulls up and her uncle gets out. A cop tries to get him to step back, but another informs him who Wilson Fisk is, a kingpin who needs no reintroduction. As the cops attempt to cuff Maya, her uncle takes her away. In the SUV, he communicates through a sign language interpreter, telling her he's concerned and she's not alone. He tells her his father was killed too. He wants to help her release her rage constructively through a job. At an underground club, two thugs commiserate Kingpin has them babysitting Maya. They see her worth when an overzealous security guard gropes her and she makes him regret it. On their way to the meeting, the two men explain that they're there to take out Fisk's competitors. When it goes down, Maya is overwhelmed at first, but snaps a man's neck into action. But things jump up when Daredevil arrives. After a fierce fight, he vanishes. Later, Fisk tells her none of his men has ever held their own with Daredevil like she did. He's given her place and purpose and calls her family. A montage of her violent ascent gives way to Fisk, telling her he's dedicated all his resources to finding her father's killer. She wants him when he does, and he won't have it any other way. Later, she fights the Ronin, and he removes his hood to reveal he's Clint Barton, who tells her in sign language they're alike in their rage, easily manipulated 
and that Fisk wanted her father dead. She packs a bag and confronts Fisk after his defeat at the hands of Barton. He reminds her their family, and she shoots him in the head. Five months later, a motorcycle stops and a disheveled Maya checks a painful torso wound between two tractor trailers. She arrives in Oklahoma at her grandmother's house and uses a key hidden under a brick. Inside, she finds dental floss and stitches her wound. At night, she dreams of Chapa and other women. In the morning, Biscuits finds her and tells her she looks the same after 20 years. She asks about the postal truck, which he says is their grandmother's. She tells him she wants to keep her visit quiet. In town, Maya watches paramedics play basketball outside their station, one of them being Bonnie. Maya heads to Black Crow's Skate Life roller skating rink, where the shoe attendant gives her static when she points to a picture of a man she then finds in the DJ booth. The attendant texts someone that he may have information on the king killer if the bounty is still available. In a back office, Maya tells the man, the attendant, who he identifies as Vicky, sucks. He asks her if her wound is from a bullet or a blade, and he brings in a local mortician to fix the gunshot. Later, Maya and the man climb a water tower to look through a telescope and see Bonnie. He tells her if she finds out Maya has returned and didn't see her, it'll break her heart. She trains the telescope on a Fisk shipping facility and says she needs one train car to send Fisk's men a message, but he doesn't want to bring war to their hometown. She tells him Kingpin had his run and it's time for a queen. He says he never saw her and they did not have this conversation. In a hospital room, a heart monitor beeps and a bandage covers the left eye of a heavy breathing disc. In 1200s Alabama, a lacrosse game is held for Native American royalty. A woman named Loak assists on a point for her red team, which leads 5-1 to one and only needs 10 to win. But the Chiefs minion summons a champion for the other team, and they immediately score. The stakes are high as the losing team will be banished from the lands forever. As the game gets closer, Loak summons the same light that Chaffa did to leap out of a scrum and score to win the game. A light warns Maya there's a visitor and Biscuits texts that it's him with supplies, but she has a list of more things she needs. She asks him if he ever takes his grandmother's postal pickup off-road, which he says she'd kill him over. She gives him her list that uh, he gets some of at Scully's pawn shop. At a planning meeting for the upcoming powwow, Chola learns Maya is back in town. When Biscuit returns, Maya wants to take a ride. Chola goes to the rink to talk to Henry about Maya's return and voices concern should Bonnie 
not find out. Biscuits brings Maya to an overpass where she tells him she needs one more thing, his phone, so he can track her. The moon is out, so that'll help him see as she jumps onto a passing train. Eluding security, she gets beneath a train car and locates her target, cutting her way in and opening a crate. The signal veers off-road, and Biscuits has to take the truck after it. Maya leaves the train car and reseals her entrance, but as she goes to jump off the train, her prosthetic is pinned between the cars. As she struggles, she sees visions of Loak and Chaffa, and her hands glow with the same energy, allowing her to free herself. Biscuits catches up, but just as the train is about to go into a tunnel, Maya jumps off and into the back of the truck, but the bumper is messed up. In New York, the train arrives and Zane is informed. He asks it to be unpacked and a bomb goes off just as he exits the building. Henry is called about the bombing and he goes to Fisk Shipping to make sure everything is in order. He texts Maya that they need to talk. Maya brings her prosthetic to Scully's pawn and he sets about fixing it when she gets Henry's text. She says she hit them back and he says they will know it was her. Scully gives Maya an improvised prosthetic while he comes up with something more permanent and tells her the story of Chaffa after she notices a statue. Chola, meanwhile, sees Biscuits in the busted pickup, which he takes to a repair shop and offers his PlayStation 4 over the CB for money to fix it. And Bonnie overhears it and inquires uh, as to why, only to inadvertently learn Maya's back in town. Henry finds Maya and confronts her, reiterating he doesn't want war brought to their town. He tells her to lay low and leaves. She then gets text from Bonnie asking why she would come home and not tell her. In a fit of frustration, she shoots at the backyard swing set chains they once hung their tent from. Let's powwow for some theories. So, Pete, one of the things that makes this podcast journey a little bit different is, though we are focusing on the first two episodes, it's with our knowledge, and I dare say the knowledge of most people, uh, of how these five episodes go. I would like to add to that discussion the fact that we also know that, depending on your source, we also know that this was originally either a six or an eight episode series and heavy reshoots uh, and things of that sort. I'd like to start with the idea that we have these five episodes and focusing on these first two in particular. I did not see great evidence of, um, let's say, purposeless editing or the editing away of the bad stuff. I think it is interesting to ponder in these first two episodes in particular, are some of the flashback stories, is this opening from Chaffa and then uh, in, in the next episode, the low wax stuff, was it maybe 
twice as long, three times as long, the focus of those episodes in the way they originally shot things. If that was the case, that again, I think that's interesting to ponder, but I felt like we got the right amount here, and I feel like that's been a theme in our discussions about Echo in anticipation of the series, that they did make all of these changes to make the thing better for you and me and everybody who actually watches it, despite the fact that maybe some of this should have been planned better in pre-production. Well, I mean, I think we go to the Hawkeye stuff first. You know, I saw a lot of overreaction. The first episode is as a Hawkeye episode, it's, it's not okay. It's a 51 minute episode that uses, I don't know what, maybe 10 minutes of footage. Yeah. I was going to say even five or six. Yeah. Yeah. It's so well integrated too. That's the thing. And why would you not use it? And also I don't need to see the teacher come over to have the visual language communicate to me. This girl is not integrating. Okay, Um, it works. Maybe you watched that show. Maybe you didn't. I would imagine most of our listeners have. Uh, Maybe it brings you to that. And here's another take. There was a ton of footage left out of Hawkeye. I mean, go and look at the extras on Disney Plus for that. The most of any of the shows they've had on there. Okay, and... I would argue that what made the show made what they had better. Um, I would argue the same here. Maybe it was eight episodes and what you got in the five was superior. You mentioned, um, you know, the, the framing mechanism that each episode is named for a woman and they, you know, with at least the first three, they begin with that character focus and maybe those were larger, more involved stories that they decided, okay, we're going we're gonna to cut this extraneous bit. Um, look at the look at the sets for the LOAC episode. Look at the digital assets. That's a tremendous expenditure, and it only deepens what they give you. Like I'm I'm watching that. Like, holy crow, man! They had like pyramid things in Alabama in the 1200s. That's awesome. They recreated one here through digital trickery and and to give you this sequence that pulls you into that episode. Um, the Choppa stuff at the very beginning with the, the blue light and everything, that had me wondering, Matt, are we revisiting What Ifs Skyworld? I had wondered the same thing, too, and I know that we had had some discussion in our What If podcast um, if there would be any crossover and so forth. And I do think from, uh, I think in the course of this five episodes, obviously, it, 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 it is not meant to encapsulate all of Choctaw culture. However, after these five episodes, I know more about Choctaw culture than I have before, perhaps perhaps to see a seam between uh, some of the Native American stories in What If and this story. Perhaps it, it, it would have been, um, I'll say culturally inappropriate. I don't mean necessarily in an offensive way. It just might have been, you know, like, you know, talking about, you know, mixing Greek myths and, uh, I don't know, the Renaissance. Like, maybe, maybe it's that, um, that kind of out of tune. 
Um, but again, you didn't need to be like, and here's the what if crossover and here's the Hawkeye crossover and here's the daredevil. Like when those things happen, they happen. You don't kind of need to push it. Um, and very, very compelling. I'm, and Pete focusing on that for a moment, focusing on this, this Chaffa opening here. Um, I feel like generally speaking, maybe the fact that this entire series is TVMA, I feel like that was perhaps oversold a bit. However, I did. It did occur to me in this Chaffa opening, Pete. There is something that Disney really, that Disney is kind of afeard of, um, and it's something that uh, usually occurs in uh, females. And I'm not saying that we see a great amount of it in the Chaffa stuff here, but that might have had this opening here might have been leaving uh, some of those folks at Disney just fanning their face and saying, "Oh boy, Pete, some of these." Females have, have have bosoms. Quick, give her the TVMA. Quick, make it go away. Where's me? Oh, that's right, Mickey. Oh, thank you, Mickey. Thank you. So, yeah, a, a compelling opening here, and I guess this is what got the TVMA because there's people in human forms where we're not seeing particular bits, at least to my eyes. I mean, the the one fight that Daredevil, you know, caps is is definitely tvma i think it's shot in a really great way i think the use of sound design is tremendous okay the use of silence um and then the technique of the heartbeats you know the the number that you have and then you know she chokes the guy out and it goes down to to just her own i think that was really well done it it's thoughtful it's putting the viewer in the place of the protagonist to try to do that you know we'll we'll talk as the series progresses as they revisit that technique and and something that you know they experiment with in different forms they had given out ahead of time it was official it had the disney plus uh stamp on it the daredevil cameo uh kind of surprised i know you reacted on twitter like oh 23 minutes and and uh, 30 seconds in boom there you go and he got a couple of lines and yeah now the defenders shows are all in the timeline um okay uh want more <laughs> so pete i had read ahead of time and this is a hollywood reporter article from a couple of years ago that and i want to stress a couple of years ago before the original shoot before the decision to do major reshoots and the major excise and so forth apparently originally matt murdoch comes to town in this show i'm assuming the town was the whole the oklahoma portion not the new york portion he comes to town looking for jessica jones and i was kind of expecting that and as we're watching as i'm watching this episode with its um can we call it the flashback portion of the story if you will um i'm like okay awesome we got some old footage got some new footage great at a certain point i know we're going to get to the core of this story in oklahoma uh with her family and more of a native perspective and all of that and then all of a sudden you know hulk lonely man style matt murdoch is going to show up or something and to have daredevil just show up out of the blue very very awesome but i want to talk right before that pete 
we are watching a Marvel Studios production where the fight is all based on great camera work and great stunt coordination. There's not lots of cuts. There's not four edits in one second. There's not major VFX tricks. Uh, there may have been some stuff like wire removal or, or erasing pads from the scene or that sort of thing. But it's not like, oh man, we put her up there on some wires and hit her with leaves and had some leaf blowers going. And I don't know, later on we'll figure out, we'll put a sky beam and some robots or something. This all looked authentic. There was even Pete, I'm really good at spotting what's called the Texas switch, which when it's done poorly, when it's done for comedy, that's like in your, in your uh, po uh, police squad movies where fit actor jumps over the couch and then Leslie Nielsen steps up from behind the couch, you know, and it's supposed to be the same person, but when it's done poorly, uh, you can tell within this fight pre daredevil arriving. And certainly once daredevil is there, they are hiding Texas switches in plain view. I did not catch any of it the first time, none of it, which, you know, all I need to do is pause just for one second and go, do I think Alakwa Cox did every single moment of that entire fight? Okay, probably not. And from there, you can start to analyze it. But this is like great stunt work, great acting from your principles. Uh, your camera is helping hide some of these things here. Your shot choice are a couple of times where guy gets thrown at camera, flash to black for a, the briefest of moment, which is hiding a cut. All of this is well done. And I'm sitting here going... Do you remember when Marvel used to just be like a VFX nightmare? Oh, wait, that was this past March or, you know, that was that was 10 months ago was Quantumania. And here we are with just a great fight with great participation from all departments all the way down to Pete, whoever made the um, the file cabinet that touchy yes. security guard gets is like <laughs> that appeared to crumple in real life again maybe that was a digital thing that's probably simple enough to do but that might have just been a, a a rubber frame with a vacuum on the inside and his head hits you'd quick decompress like the whole thing was great 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 it's the core of that premiere and again a, a less is more model if you know you're gonna make that the thing you're building around okay and then to have that, that now it is established that during the Daredevil show, that sequence occurred there, okay? And obviously with Daredevil Born Again, which I fully expect that Alaco Cox will appear in, that as you mentioned before, all these rumors that uh, Kristen Ritter has returned, we know already that John Bernthal has uh, been back no wonder these shows have, uh, you know, reappeared in the timeline. But speaking of time, Matt, what year is it in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? I mean, shoot, the last time we got an update, I know it was in Hawkeye. And I feel like that was maybe Christmas Eve 2024, New Year's Day 2025, something like that. So I would say let's see in this show let me backtrack from there in this show this is in the after effects of that so are, are we the same let me ask you this pete are we the same year that hawkeye ended 
not counting uh, which side of New Year's we're on. Are we are we still in that same? Are we within six months of when Hawkeye ended? Well, it's interesting that you say that. So we're told five months later. However, um, the date we get for certain is 2007. And then Biscuits says he hasn't seen his cousin. She's been gone 20 years. He's not in the opening and they make reference to him being sick. Uh, All signs point to Matt's uh 2027 which i feel like wouldn't jive with five months after hawkeye but that I, that that's close enough that that works that if that's the biggest thing that's wrong with these first two episodes uh i'll take it i'll definitely take it um well it sure was nice getting nathaniel malik back <laughs> He has such a distinctive way of speaking, um, and it was... What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm just here shining some shoes. Now I'm going to te- text somebody, the king is dead. The- I don't know, just... Uh, Pete, sometimes... Thomas E. Sullivan has, has chewed the scenery in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in The Mandalorian for, like... Uh, a minute and a half. Oh yeah, he's still... all don't shoot me, shoot somebody else. He's that guy. Yeah, let me let me tell you about the Death Star. See, and and now with uh you know a rat tail in um this Middle America roller skating rink. Okay, and we're better for all three of those performances. Bring him back to Star Wars. I know he got his face blown off, um, but put him in a prosthetic and have him, uh, you know, telling uh, Mandalorian and Grogu there's no room in the space in. Well, it's funny you should mention Mandalorian. Um, I was reflecting how essential Book of Boba Fett is to the Mandalorian story and how uh, you know everybody has observed that the best episodes of Book of Boba Fett are the ones that are actually Mandalorian episodes. Um, so I was somewhat entering this show, Echo, <laughs> with this notion of we know there's going to be plenty of Fisk, and like even before he shows up towards the end of the first episode, he's in the story. You know, the King Killer and it's, we, Kingpin has had his runs. Time for a queen. You know, all of that. Kingpin's shadow looms large as discussed get the daredevil presence there surprised uh by that you know etc 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 this this episode the first episode the two episodes pete will be forward looking a little bit here too uh maya lopez never got lost in these five episodes which i think is a bit of a minor miracle because let's go back to hawkeye for a second the most interesting parts of hawkeye are um kate bishop and Yelena and Echo and Fisk, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to a certain point where it's like, oh, Hawkeye is kind of in Hawkeye, I guess. You know, that was kind of my feeling from that that show. Not the case here, not for any of these episodes. You know, Echo is front and center with Echo in a really uh again, I was I, I was pleasantly surprised. Hawkeye was such a twisty turny adventure that i really enjoyed for 
you know, the way they brought in the cameos, the way they gave you, all right, Yelena blipped, which we didn't previously know, and then rematerializes, um, and her journey, and seeing Maya for the first time, um, here to have, and it was off the strength of her first appearance, okay, we're going to give her a show, we're going to build around her, um, clearly with the idea of more. Um, to give her abilities now in this show and what they are and how they differ from the comics. So Matt, are you aware of what her abilities are in print? Um, I think back when we did Hawkeye, I was aware of it. That, that has faded from the mists of my mind. So she can copy any opponent's style and, and use it against them. Like an echo. What's that? Like, like an, an echo? echo. Essentially like another character we already have in the MCU connected with Yelena. Yeah. The taskmaster, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. As you were saying it, I'm like, wait, I've heard this before. Yeah. So I think you're wise to, to tap into this where they were in production as opposed to what if, and that you have Devery Jacobs in both productions, um, obviously a, a prominent, uh, you know, Native American actress right now and getting dual gigs in, you know, live action and animation. No one is going to fault somebody for taking jobs. Okay. And that she's playing two different characters here. Um, but the ability to change things up a little bit, to make them unique to this show, to be more, shall we say, filmic rather than the comic bookie of, oh, you kick this way and I will kick this way. And instead, you know, my hands glow and I can do magic things particularly you know i don't again i don't want to get ahead of ourselves but also we're approaching this as uh we've all seen all five episodes the power of healing um is you know we'll discuss in in due course in future episodes used uh very poignantly but also a, a new twist on things particularly if we are working towards continuing to have maya lopez be part of the larger picture of the mcu you know we frequently discussed how even in the best of times marvel studios doesn't always have a solid solid plan of like here's where everybody's going to fit in but point being this power being a differentiator is something where you know if echo is in avengers movies eight years from now quick get echo over here to do the healing you know, is a compelling, can be a compelling point in the story or they've taken Echo, she can't do the healing. You know, these, these are compelling ways to use the character moving forward in an ensemble thing. If we are going to be lucky enough to go back and forth from focus on her, part, then part of an ensemble and back and forth. I think their long-term plans, you know, stem around Spider-Man, Daredevil, Kingpin, Echo, the rest of, the defenders for that end of their universe. And then ultimately 
how much they'll in, interact with other Avengers remains to be seen. Um, you know, certainly Secret Wars, all the chaos that's been created as a result of, you know, the Jonathan Majors trial and, you know, the subsequent decision to part ways with him. Will they even return to Kang? We, we just don't know. Um, interesting that they've continued this different path of Fisk of more of a, you know, not quite an entrepreneur, but this idea that he's, he's got an armory, everything we saw in the Marvel Netflix shows, it was graft. It was corruption, certainly resources, but never, Hey, here's a gigantic building filled with arms and explosives that is connected to him. It's certainly feasible, but felt a little too on the nose compared to what we had gotten before. But I suppose it makes sense. Two thoughts, first with Maya, then with Fisk. First of all, I, particularly since we are we are in uh, nominally a theory segment here, it crossed my mind um the emergence of maya's you know glow ability which again we'll talk more about in future episodes but the emergence i i suppose in a certain sense it's tied to the time and the place um here but i had wondered do we go and retcon like this is it this is a mutation this is a mutant thing on the one hand it might diverge from the you know traditional marvel comics thing of mutant abilities showing around puberty, but we are about to get one heavily assumes a major download of mutants into the MCU by way of the Deadpool movie this summer. So I guess I would say kind of like watch this space just in case, you know, if it is, if this is taking place, you know, spring 2027 in the MCU, whatever it might be, do we see, Oh, that's when at the end of Deadpool three, that's when, the time vortex portal is finally sealed and all you know xavier and company are now on the other side going wait where are we and we go oh now all the mutants latent abilities have been released because of the mutant wave or you know whatever it is maybe we have some sort of connection here to to larger stuff we have monica rambeau in a alternate universe and how that may be resolved the the multiverse saga that we're in right now allows for so many solves to those story concerns onto the fisk end of things i just wanted to say i i continue to marvel no pun intended at the the sum of people's efforts to make fisk look the way he does uh, I looked it up. Vincent D'Onofrio is six foot four, so tall guy. I don't think he always like. I'm thinking of D'Onofrio in Jurassic World. I don't know how tall Pratt is, but let's say Pratt's in in the six foot neighborhood as well. D'Onofrio does not loom large over um, every single person that he's put next to on camera. Um, clearly, he clearly he has put on wait for this Fisk role and then you see him more recently and you're like hey there's a fairly trim guy in his 50s good job Vinny um but then what they do with 
I'm assuming, with padding to make the shoulders just a little extraordinarily bigger than his frame naturally gives him. And whether it's stuff around the middle or padding the legs, like you think of the comics Fisk who it, who probably, you know, it, in his size and in his weight, the comics Fisk is probably, you know, seven feet tall and probably weighs... 1200 pounds or something like that you know it makes sense in comics you're not going to go that big in um and still have mobility in live action but it's just you look at him and you believe that especially you think of that scene with the cops like have they hired are they shooting in a way to accentuate his size sure have they maybe you know have they hired bodyguard size actors to play the cops or are they hired slightly smaller guys whatever it is every single time you you buy that this guy is just you know, uh, you can hear the beating heart that he has and the power that he has and the size and all of that. It's just at every moment, it feels so real. And the trick they do with the lighting of the ASL, uh, you know, translator, okay, that she's always just out of view and he takes up so much more of the camera. Um, yeah, it really is a wonder. And they they knew what they had in him, seeing him speak this week about, you know, uh, Charlie Cox getting the call, him getting the call to return from Kevin Feige. And, you know, they know what they have in them, in the others coming back. And they're they're so beloved. I mean, we've had the good fortune to be in the room with Charlie Cox and just to watch the way in which he's revered by the people that made that show. Um, we've never been fortunate enough with Vincent D'Onofrio, but the high regard that he holds this character and how responsible he feels for him, um, you know, and being able to return to it now the the second time he's done it for marvel studios and a, a third one in the offing i mean let's let's be glad they've figured out matt daredevil born again or they're figuring it out or whatever but but that he's back and that there's more coming and you know obviously his story with with maya is part and parcel of that I see some smoke signals on the horizon. Pete to Twitter we go, where people were able to rate these first two episodes, uh, starting with uh, the finger-crossed emoji, room for improvement, that got 3.8%, uh, giving it two fingers, the peace sign, a fair beginning, got 0%, uh, giving it three fingers, good times, and then four thumbs up, great start, uh, was 80.8%. Some replies here on Twitter. First one from uh, Rose Ferry. I did not know what to expect and almost wasn't going to watch it. I'm so glad I did because it is excellent. The cast is top-notch. and I'm looking forward to see where the story is going. Uh, Steve Thurbridge says, Great start. Different power set than the comics, but I like the echoes from the past characterization, though. Good thread to keep pulling. 
uh major noel gardner at noel camille says first two episodes great start i liked the what if twist on the choctaw creation story the filling in of maya and kingpin's backstory with footage from previous shows it is all connected was helpful i love all of her family especially biscuits their daredevil cameo did its job um and uh, a reply to her tweet from uh epim Methians uh, says, is it just me or does Biscuits look like a young Zach Galifianakis? Uh, she agrees. I have to say, Pete, I didn't I didn't see it one way or another. I'm going to have to go back and, and, and look at it with those eyes. Uh, and then a, another reply to her tweet here from uh, it's Twitter Not Life. It's at KCLYLE1. The Choctaw stuff was great and totally unexpected. Back to some of our replies, Pete. Uh, Andre Yeager at Dr. Polo1983 said, I thought we were getting a live-action Kahori after that first scene. I'm surprised they got the Daredevil cameo out of the way in the first episode. The show has Netflix grit and violence. Great start to the season. Uh, Diana Bodenberg on Twitter says, Not blown away yet, but I'm enjoying it. I know it's Marvel, but the beginning of episode one was giving me serious uh, Lazarus pit vibes. Getting a DD cameo was great. Scully chanting, by the damn thing. And his uh, story in episode two was killing me. I heard that the actor uh, that plays Bonnie is also the voice of Kahori, which is pretty awesome. Good start to the show. Uh, then we hear Pete formally from uh, KCLYLE1 on Twitter. Did not expect full frontal right off the bat, but they did say for mature audiences. Uh, Pete, I have to say... I did not. I, I was watching very carefully. I didn't. I didn't read the nudity, perhaps to the, the degree that uh, that uh, Casey Oyle one did. I read that tweet. I'm like, wait, did did I not notice? Um, Pete, I think if listen, if nothing else, I think we as gentlemen of scholarly pursuits when it comes to the intersection of high culture and popular culture, we'll have to go back and check just <laughs> just just to get the job done here. Um, but back to the tweet here. The Echo Daredevil fight was one of the best I've seen in a while. And it was nice to see Clint in the recap of her past. Great first episode setting up the premise. Second episode was a little more chill. Understandable given what it needs to do. The train stuff was cool with some minor CGI issues. Great to see more of Maya's family and the Choctaw background. Is Maya going to end up with a super prosthetic? Overall, fantastic start. If the rest is this strong, it seems someone may have had a lapse in judgment the way it was treated. I noticed it is a spotlight presentation, whatever that means. One shot, uh, we shall see, I guess. So, Pete, a couple thoughts there. I appreciate that this five-episode chunk of story did not result in, here's the prosthetic that is laser blast, rocket flight, whistling birds mandalorian style this show is so grounded in almost reality except kingpin is super strong except there's glowy <laughs> hands like you know what i mean it, it, it's kind of it's one universe over from our own and i know it's the mcu but it's it's this was not the time to be like and it's nanites and gives her a spacesuit um could we get there could we get there in avengers 12 avengers v x-men sure but that's not where we're at now and i'm i'm glad of that the decision to start now this banner of marvel spotlight and i have a sneaking suspicion the next one will be ironheart um you know they build it as less connected but what do they do matt they 
they spun a character out of a show spun out of characters from the movies like it it remains all connected and and what did they do now the marvel netflix series are on the timeline it's it's still all connected matt <laughs> and what did they do you know in the post credit scene of the last episode things are still connected uh back to so like all right this i don't i don't know that they know what it means one character but 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 don't they all i i think they all i mean you you took some shots at hawkeye you still got all this further development they dealt with his hearing loss and created a situation where he speaks um you know asl uh because of his son and uh that he's you know taken on this mentor role here and now with the unfortunate reality of what jeremy renner has gone through physically might not be able to return to that role um so that you got that up front there to kind of add a coda to the character so that we see kate bishop the next time can just say like oh clint's chilling on his farm yeah or get, get him in there for a scene that is here i am behind the desk or you know it's not yeah. okay put me in wires and twist me all around you know all that stuff Anyhow, Pete, back to Twitter we go to hear from at BikeBRH, who says, I like it so far. It's probably in the upper half of the TV shows. I like uh, that the fact that she uh, is a prosthesis user is more front and center now because that is an important part of who the character and the actress are and representation is important. Prosthetic users seem to be one of the last frontiers in representation. The character Arizona Roberts on Grey's Anatomy is the only one uh, I can think of. You only saw her prosthetic three or four times uh, when it was a plot point. I felt like in Hawkeye, they were nervously, just nervously dipping their toes in that pool, showing some flashes of it, but not really committing. I think that Hollywood has traditionally been very afraid the prosthetics are off-putting and therefore uh, only to be used in very special episodes. It's a big step forward for a major studio to have a deaf amputee lead. Um, I agree with everything Bike B or H has said, and I would reiterate, if you go back and watch the daredevil fight and you watch it from the perspective of when does Alakwa Cox leave the frame and it's hidden very well with camera movement movements. And that's when they can swap in another performer, you know, who I would assume is not in a prosthetic and so forth. Although I certainly could be wrong. It just kind of adds to, we buy that it's Maya Lopez the entire time prosthetic included, even when there's, probably scenes where that's not the case uh last tweet pete comes from ben larson that's at larson ben uh through the first two episodes it has really impressed me it almost feels like netflix marvel a completely different tone from their usual tv fare alakwa cox has improved a lot since hawkeye and is carrying the show like a star pete what do you have on twitter ritterton matt that's at ritterton writes three episodes uh, into at Marvel's and at Disney Plus's Echo uh, and absolutely loving it. It's the gritty side of the MCU. We got in Daredevil, Jessica Jones, and Luke Cage. Complex characters with rich stores. I think they mean stories. Uh, just so well done on absolutely every 
level hashtag echo marvel hashtag echo series yeah it's uh pete maybe the spotlight is on good characters who do believable things on the screen who would have thunk yeah um to the email inbox we go and uh pete want to thank uh michael from can mike from canada as well as a couple other people reached out on social media uh regarding our podcast not showing up on pocket casts which is not something that we had signed up for initially uh or ever except for the last five days ago um so i don't know how our feed originally got to pocket casts but with some of the changes that we made on uh, solving problems and so forth in late december it just wasn't showing up period uh and after and i know some people reached out to you you and i had discussed so on and so forth but mike's email was the one where i said let me dig a little bit further let me go into the pocket cast website blah 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 and uh if you use pocket casts to listen to podcasts the pop culture podcast feed is there and it's because of uh, our listeners saying hey there's an issue and us working on it and solving it so thanks to mike thanks to everybody who advocated for that yes and uh still trying to figure out how our stuff gets to where it does sometimes god knows matt's been down that rabbit hole enough in the last uh two and a half weeks but uh yeah people want to listen to us this is a good thing uh bring it back to echo pete the the last email in, in the inbox here from steve adams who says this has been a good few weeks starting with what if and now echo i'm also wor working my way through strange new world season two on blu-ray so my fantastic geek cup runneth over even after hawkeye i wasn't sure about this show it didn't feel necessary after one episode though i can say it might be indispensable pete let me just pause right there somebody from marvel studios needs to do a poll quote from steve's email here and put it on a poster or whatever let me read that again uh after one episode though i can say this show might just be indispensable yeah uh, <laughs> well done there steve steve goes on to say um this was great even with all the flash flashback footage it was great to see jeremy renner again and daredevil was awesome that fight scene was amazing and compares favorably to daredevil's fight scenes Alakwa Cox is doing a great job of communicating without words, and, and I look forward to see how she grows. But what truly sends this episode over the top is, of course, Vincent D'Onofrio. I say this every time I see him on screen, but his kingpin is truly frightening and a powerful character. Very few characters come through the screen as intensely visceral as Mr. Fisk, but he makes you feel almost powerless when watching him. I would go so far as to say D'Onofrio is Marvel's single best casting choice ever, you must pay attention to him. It is incredible to behold. I'm intrigued to see where this show goes. And hopefully Daredevil will be back to lend Maya a hand. Until next time, stay fantastic. That wisdom from Steve Adams. Yeah, seeing the two of them interact and you just crave more. And to have it be, you know, classic Marvel Netflix. First as adversaries, eventually on the same side. And it'll all feel so earned in the, the passage of time and that they're refilming, filming more of Daredevil right now. Um, yeah, get it to us. Well, Pete, this initial outing, uh, talking about the first two episodes of Echo, has been made possible by those who support us on Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek and our continued and ongoing thanks. 
Absolutely. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive content, all sorts of levels to choose from, but it takes just a dollar a month to get you behind that door. Uh, it's funny, Matt, somebody through Patreon, uh, we had made the post so that we were having some of the technical difficulties and we came up with a, with a new way to, uh, to get things to our feed. I don't even know what that that's called. Uh, and somebody reached out via Patreon. They were like, do I need to in- increase uh, what I I give? And I, I said no. I I don't think you do. I I think we're good. We we are on a on a pay model for that now. They were concerned. You have so many feeds. You know, being able to do that. Um, but with all the help that we get, you know, you guys make it possible. So it's just another reason there how you help this happen. And Pete, as we look ahead to talking about episodes three and four uh, on Sunday the 14th and uh, episode 105 on the 16th and then wrapping the series next weekend, uh, how can people be in touch with you on social media to talk about Echo, to talk about Marvel, Star Trek, Star Wars, and more? You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Threads. You can find me on Blue Sky at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. 12,600 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, and Threads, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash fantastic with a PH, all one word, like it today. And just to recap one more time, on the 14th, we're talking episodes three and four. On the 16th, talking about the Echo finale. Uh, and then on January 20th, a look back at the, the series, at the season, at, at this five-episode arc here. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Kingpin, thanks you for your loyalty.